You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. I want to preach to you this morning a message that I've entitled, Right with God. Right with God. Breathe in. Do you do it during allergy season? (laughs) Now breathe out. That was our last breath. Now earth and heaven flee away. We see a great white throne. God is seated on it. We are face to face with our holy creator. Standing before him in judgment to give an account for the lives we live. There are two alternatives. The King of Kings may say to you, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's what we want to hear. But there's another alternative. He may say, Depart from me, You who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I have a simple but most profound question to ask each and every one of you this morning. What makes us right with God? What gives us the complete confidence that if today was our last day and we drew our last breath and we stood before our holy creator that we could have complete confidence. He would say, come and inherit the kingdom. The Apostle Paul in this this brief paragraph gives us the most wonderful answer to how we are made right with God. I want to look at two verses at first. Let's look at verse 23 and verse 21 it says but now apart from the law he's in reference to things like the Ten Commandments the righteousness of God the way to be made right with God has been revealed attested by the law and the prophets So the law of the prophets is in reference to the whole Old Testament. He says, the Old Old Testament points to this way that we are made right with God. And it's not with the law. And then look at verse 23. Here's the summation of what we find if we try to be made right with God with the law or the Ten Commandments. It says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory 
of God. What makes us right with God? Let me tell you what doesn't make us right with God. Number one, our spiritual resumes cannot make us right with God. Our spiritual resumes cannot make us right with God. When you want a job, you create a resume. And you don't put all the bad things on your resume. You don't put all of your inexperiences or your lack of education or your skill set that you don't have. When we write a resume, we put all the good things that we have, have accomplished. The education we have amassed, the experience we have amassed, the skill set we do have, and we hand that to the employer and we say, look at this. Here is why you should accept me. And tragically, I think for most of us, we approach God the same way. And we tend to use those Ten Commandments as the litmus test for our spiritual resume. We like to go to the commandments and say, look at this spiritual resume, God. I, I have not murdered. Look at this spiritual resume, God. I have not committed adultery. Look at this spiritual resume, God. I have not bear false witness against my neighbor. And then not only do we include all the things we haven't done that the Lord explicitly deems as sinful, evil, or wicked, but then we try to bolster it up and show all of our religious things that we have done. We talk about going to church and how long we've been faithful in attendance. We talk about being brought up with the Bible or we have grandparents or pastors who are great Christians. We talk about the amount of money that we've given to the, to the church or local charities. And we even bring up church ordinances like taking the Lord's Supper. Hear me. We think that a spiritual resume of the evil things we haven't done and the good things that we have done will get us into a God's acceptance. But I want you to know something. God doesn't care about our spiritual resume because He knows that every single one of us has a sinful record. We want to offer a spiritual resume and He goes, you have a sinful record. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Son of God, King Jesus, whom we spoke about, gives the final authoritative interpretation of God's law. And honestly, if you think about it in terms of a record, what Jesus does on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 is he runs a background check on every single run at one of us. We want to offer a spiritual resume to God, and Jesus goes, that's fine, but let's run the background check. Let's see the things you're not telling me about. Let's see the things that you've hidden from view. And listen to what Jesus says. You sit there and say, hey, thou shalt not murder, and you've not murdered. But listen to what Matthew 5.22 says. Jesus said, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. 
Whoever says you fool or you idiot will be subject to hellfire. So on our spiritual resume, we may say we have not murder. Jesus runs the background check. He says, but I see the anger in your heart. I've seen how you've spoken to people. And that will send you to judgment. He runs the background check against adultery. You may have not committed adultery, but Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 28. I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The sexual fantasies that we play out in our mind and heart shows that we're adulterers from our heart, and Jesus knows that in our background check. And then we say, you know what, I've not bearing false witness against my neighbor. And Jesus goes on to tell us, well, let me run the background check. He says this, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. The fact that we would have to put our hands on the Bible and swear in order to give testimony proves we are not trustworthy. As you look back on your life, what hidden or private sin are you most ashamed of? Just find the one. We all have one. All of us. And there's not a one in here, including me. And the Bible tells us that one sin can condemn us and send us to everlasting torment. See, our sin... The one sin proves or confirms that we are sinners. But verse 23 went further than that and didn't just say we, are all, we all have sinned. It says we all fall short. We all fall short of the glory of God. You may not realize this, but God created you in His image in order to reflect His glorious, holy image. You're his creation, you're his children, and you're to reflect the glory and the holiness of God the Father. You're his kids, so to speak, and you're to look like his parents. And the fact is this, we fall short. We keep coming short of God's glorious intention of our life. Think of some of the ancient architectural ruins in the world like the Colosseum in Rome. Have you ever seen pictures of the Colosseum? Isn't it impressive as it stands right now? It's a wonder, but I want you to think about it. It pales in comparison to its original wonder and glory. The people when it was actually finished saw it in its original state. And they were amazed. And yet we walk away after many, many centuries and we're still amazed by it. But think of it. It's still ruined. It still falls short of its original intention. And it's the same with us. We may be impressed with ourselves and how we live our life, but God knows the state from which we fall. God knows who we're intended to be. And please notice in verse 23, this is in the present tense. Notice, all have sinned. We all have things in our past, but this falling short is a continuous action. We wake up every day and we continue to fall short. So while your sin differs from my sin, 
We're all sinners. You have a record, and I have a record, and we all have high crimes against the Lord God of the universe. There is no bad sinner. There is no good sinner. The lack of an inch is as fatal as the lack of a foot. And our spiritual resume cannot make us right with God. So what makes us right with God? What's the flip side of this? And Paul gives us the answer here. And this is where we can get happy. Look at verse 22. He says this, The righteousness of God or the way to be made right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction. God is not favorites with certain people more than others. Why? Because all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short. Drop down to verse 24. Here's how we're made right with God. It says this, Those who believe, they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, God presented Him, Jesus Christ, as an atoning sacrifice or a propitiation in His blood received through faith. If there's only one thing that I want you to get this morning, it's this simple thing, is that God makes us right with God. God makes us right with God. Now, how did God make us right with Him? And in just this little passage, in just this little verse, Paul uses three scenes Three word pictures to portray how God could make sinners right. The very first scene that Paul unfurls in front of us, and he unfurls it in front of us with the word justify, and it comes from the courtroom. And the idea is simply this, because all of us have sinned, we're all condemned to die. And the gavel is about to come down. The sentence is about to be declared. And we expect execution. We expect death. We expect eternal separation from God. You're on the dock. The judge is about to make his sentence. And right as he bangs his gavel, he says this, Not guilty! Now imagine your surprise. (laughs) Not guilty. I saw the record. I looked at the background check. I know the sins out out in public. I know the sins out in private. How can I be not guilty? And here's the beauty of what was declared to you this morning is that when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth and died on the cross for your sins, He did two things. He absorbed the penalty and punishment and consequences of all your sins. There is nothing for God to penalize you for because Jesus paid it all. 
But not guilty infers something else too. It's not that you've just been forgiven or pardoned. You've been exonerated. That means the sinless Son of God, all of His righteousness, all of His faithful obedience to God on this earth, His infinite holiness has been credited to you. You walk out of the courtroom clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? That's how God makes us right with Him. And then Paul moves the scene again with the word redemption. Now we're in the slave market and you're in chains. You're cuffed up. You're on the auction block. You've been a slave to sin all your life. We can never offer a spiritual resume to God that God would accept and we've been held captive and we can't get out. We are stuck in this sinless, sinful, helpless estate. And we're on the auction block. Would anybody buy us out? Would anybody redeem us and buy us and get us out of this message? And you're sitting there and all of a sudden a familiar voice calls out. It's God. And he outbids every bidder. And he wins. And you know what he does? He comes up to you on the auction block and he doesn't just grab hold of you. He takes the chains off and says, you're free to go. You've been bought with a price. And I've paid it all. And then Paul moves the scene one last time to show us how we're made right with God. And he brings us into the holy of holies. Now, if you're new to church, you say, I don't have a clue what that is. That's okay. In the Old Testament, one time a year, the high priest, this would be the people's representative and God's representative to the people, one time a year, he would go into this most inner sacred place in the temple that only he could go into. And here's what he would do. And this is a, a, a little male goat. I didn't bring a real one. <laughs> That's not going to happen. But he would slaughter a male goat, capture the blood of that goat in a basin, and he would take the blood of that goat into the Holy of Holies, and he would take it and he would sprinkle it on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence manifested. You say, why would he do such a weird thing? Because the blood covered the sins of the people and it appeased the wrath of God. God would look over the sins of Israel and continue to have a relationship with him. And this goat, so to speak, this atoning sacrifice is the propitiation for sins. It is the animal that is offered in order that God's wrath could be removed from people. And here's what Paul is saying. Jesus is our propitiation. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. And I love this whole idea. It wasn't done in some hidden room. It was done out in public for all to see. The Son of God came to the earth, was lifted up on the cross, and what did He do? He shed His blood for our sins. And as he shed his blood, the wrath of God was appeased. It was taken away once and for all. 
Notice what God has done to make us right with Him. Look as each metaphor, each word picture demonstrates the cost. Someone takes our penalty. Someone purchases us from a debt they didn't owe. Someone laid down their life and shed their own blood for our sins, not for anything that that person would do. Why would the judge take that judgment? Why would the Lord of life pay for the wages of sin, which is death? Why would God become man to shed his own blood for our souls? Can I show you this? Look real quick. It says this, verse 23, for 24. They are justified freely by His what? Grace. All church are with me. Listen to this. He did this not under compulsion or coercion. He didn't look down on us and in our plight said, you know what, they're really good people, let me just help them out. No, we all deserve to experience the judgment and wrath of God. But here's what's amazing. God is good. God is gracious. God is full of undeserved love. He wants to pour it out. He wants to make you right because of who He is. And so He offers the way to be made right with Him as a free gift. There's no spiritual resume. There's no strings attached. The gospel or the good news is is that it's rooted in the character of God Himself. He is good. And the way He makes us right with Him is good. And it's free. I do have one word of warning. Because it almost seems too good to be true. That Jesus would take full responsibility and all we have to do is just respond and receive a gift? You look at verse 25, that other half I didn't read in verse 26. Notice where it picks up. Because in His restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed God presented him, referring to Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in him. Now please notice what these verses are not saying. They're not saying that God has been ignoring sin. That up until Jesus' death on the cross for our sins, God's just let it go and it's no big deal. It's, more, it's actually just the opposite. Here's the idea. Is that when we first sinned, God should have obliterated the human race off the face of the earth. That's what should have happened. Why did He not strike us down in the garden with Adam and Eve? Why did He not strike you down the moment you willfully, intentionally sinned against Him? And here's the reason. God forbore. He put up with our sins because He foreknew there was coming a day when He would send His Son to make things right with us. Aren't you glad in a God who's patient with His creation? I'll put up with it. Because my son's coming to make things right. But please understand this. Here's my word of warning. 
just like he was patient with the people of the days of old. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord does not delay his promise about him coming again, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. I think some of us, we sit here and we feel right with God. We look at our lives and we say, I don't see anything destructive. I don't feel like there's condemnation. I don't think God's about to strike me dead. The Bible is like, we know. <laughs> because of God, good, God's goodness, he's being patient with you. He's giving you an opportunity to turn from your sin, to despise it, to be sick of it, and to come to Christ and receive this righteousness and be made right with God. Don't confuse his patience with acceptance or tolerance. What he's doing is he is giving you time to turn your life over to him. The question now becomes this. Since God has done everything, is there any part that I must play? Or is it automatically applied to every person? Now that Jesus died on the cross, do we just all go to heaven? And that's not what this Bible teaches. I want you to notice a couple of phrases here. Look at verse 22 real quick. It says this, The righteousness of God, the way to be made right with God, is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And then look at verse 25. It says, God, uh, God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through, what does it say? Faith. And then even at the end, verse 26, it says, so that he would be righteous and declare righteous to the one who has faith in Jesus. We must have faith in Jesus. To believe or have faith in Jesus means to trust or put our confidence in Him. This is not a blind faith. This is not, I believe I can fly. All right? I have a trip to go to in June to Chicago. I'm not going to sit here with all of my might and say, Josh, I can just fly by myself to Chicago. That's what the world thinks faith is. Faith's more like this, to be honest. I don't like getting on airplanes, ladies and gentlemen. But here's the point. Even if I get on that airplane shaking and trembling, nervous and anxious, but I simply take my seat and let the plane do the rest, I'll end up in Chicago. And it's the same thing with Christ. We're not asking you to believe in make-believe. We're saying Jesus has done this. Will you rest in him? Will you put your confidence in him alone that he can save you and make you right with God? That he could lead you to that destination? That's the question that is before you. So what are you going to do about it? Right now, what are you going to do about it? This morning, are you sick of your sin and you long to be made right with God? then trust Christ today. Whatever your past life has been, trust Christ today. Whatever your present feelings are, trust Christ today. You may have been under my preaching for the past two years and you remain unsaved, 
You have no rest and you're beset with doubts. Trust Christ today. You may have been here just one time. This is your first time. And you've heard how God can make you right. I have fulfilled my ministry this morning. Your blood is no longer on my hands. In fact, it's on your hands now. Trust Christ today. Trust Him today. And here's what I can guarantee you. If you trust Christ today, when you take your last breath, you can have complete confidence that you will hear, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. This is not a time to sleep. We're going to do business with God. I want to ask you this morning to trust Christ right now. I want you to seek God in prayer. Prayer is the voice of faith and trust. Romans 10.10 explains it's with our hearts we believe and it's with our mouths we confess and we make it known. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer right here in this moment. And this prayer is not magical. If you just repeat it for sake of repeating it, it would be no different than reciting lines from your favorite movie. But if you're ready to turn from your sin and to trust Christ only for your salvation, put behind your spiritual resume, put behind your record and that background check, and put your full confidence in what Jesus Christ has done to justify you, to redeem you, and to pay the penalty and price for your sins, then I want you to say this prayer in your heart to Jesus. Just repeat after me. Jesus is God. He hears our thoughts and whispers. Just say this. Dear God, I am a sinner and fall short of your glory. But I believe you love me. You gave your only son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life and shed his blood for my sins. I believe you raised him from the dead and offer righteousness in Him only. I now receive through faith in your Son your righteousness. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.